Exodus 29. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Okay, we have a Bible over here. Um, if uh, There he is. Thank you, sir. Uh, anyone else need a Bible? Okay, yeah, you can keep that Bible if you want. I'm trying to get things together here. Doesn't look like I'm having any signal, but they have my notes, so they can turn the slides. Um, Genesis 29, let's go ahead and be turning there. And before we jump right into Genesis 29, let me hit my timer. I'll keep you here to 10. We don't want that. Um, before we jump into 29, let's recap a little bit what we did in Genesis 28. If you remember, Jacob was in his darkest hour. Um, Jacob, had, he had sinned, if you remember. He had sinned against his father and his brother. They had stolen the blessing that uh, his father wanted to give to his brother Esau. And he, he kind of was in cahoots with his mom. He had sinned, and now he's on the run from his brother. He's worried that his brother... It says that brother is going to comfort himself by plotting to kill him. So he's trying to get away from that. He's separated from his family. He doesn't know... There's so much uncertainty. He doesn't know where he's going to eat, what he's going to, where he's going to sleep. He's depressed. I think that's probably a pretty fair thing to say. He's pretty down at this point. But let me tell you something. God wasn't through with him yet. God still had a plan for him at this time. And in fact, in chapter 28, in verse 10, it says that as he's on the run after this three-day journey so far, he comes to a certain place. And I think that's significant, those words, a certain place, just any place. It didn't have anything to do with that piece of ground. It was just a place. And he spends the night there because the sun had gone down. It was getting dark. And he takes a, a rock and he uses it for a pillow for his head because he's extremely exhausted. And it's there that he has this amazing dream, this dream about this ladder where he sees the angels of God ascending and descending. And at the top there, he sees the Lord God himself. He appears above it. And he gives him this amazing blessing. And it's the same blessing that he gave his grandfather Abraham, his father Isaac, the same blessing. And he says this, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. Now, did you catch all that, that whole little thing there? Jacob the sinner, <laughs> he, he, he's on the run, and when he meets up with God at a certain place, God doesn't rebuke him and say, I know what you did with your mom. I mean, I saw that. I know how you deceived your father and your brother. Instead, he blesses him. And not just any blessing, but a very special blessing. And he adds that, behold, I am with you, and I'll be with you wherever you go. And it says that, again, he was in a certain place. You know, what I have learned so much in my Christian life is that God doesn't meet us at the destination. He meets us along the journey, along the way. God comes to us at many different places along the way. It's just not the final destination where we meet up with God. And God comes to where Jacob was at, and I'm talking spiritually. He comes to him where he's at emotionally and relationally and even physically. He's over 70 years old, maybe up to 77 years old right here. And God comes to us where we are at and God can bless us anywhere, certain place along the road. God can bless anyone at any time. Because the purposes of God cannot fail for our lives. And this blessing changes Jacob's life forever. He, he will become 
the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. What an amazing, he could have never have anticipated that. And he finds this new purpose for his life. He finds God's purpose for his life. And it puts him on a new uh, trajectory for his life. Now the question comes, does his life get easier? <laughs> no, as we're going to see in a little bit. His, in fact, maybe his life even gets more difficult. But it does change the course of his life, and I so can relate to that, and I bet you can too. That when God came to you at a certain place, the most unexpected time maybe for you, for me it was. It was my darkest hour indeed. And God came to me and a little bit of light shone in, and I, I grabbed onto the smallest promise that was shared with me and I still hold on to it today it was Jeremiah 29 11 through 13 we all know that promise it was a promise for me that if I sought him with all my heart I would find him that's the part now let me ask this question to you as we open up to chapter 29 have you ever uh, gotten ready to go on a trip that you don't think is going to be very good, but it turns out to be okay in the end. Have you ever done that? It, right. It's usually the other way around, right? You, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good trip and it's terrible. But this is where we find Jacob. He, he's off on this journey. He thinks this is going to be the worst trip ever. And indeed, the first three days were horrible. But it doesn't turn out too badly. Let's go ahead and read in verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and he came to the land of the sons of the east. He looked and he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it. And from that well they watered the flocks. Now a stone on the mouth of the well was large. When the flocks were gathered there, they would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where are you from? And they said, We're from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, son of Naor? And, it, and they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until the flocks are gathered. And they roll the stone from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. So here we find Jacob with this, this new purpose on his journey, this new plan for his life. He's no longer afraid of Esau hunting him down and killing him. He's not afraid of any enemies in the land that he's going to meet. He's not afraid of what he's going to eat, where he's going to sleep. He's not afraid of any of that. He's living right here off the promises of God. I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And he looks out in this field and he sees a well. What a coincidence. And he looks at the well, and there's this, apparently this big rock that's over the mouth of the well. And the locals, they would gather there. They would gather there, and they'd have to wait till all the other herdsmen came in. And it says that they would have to, verse 3 there, says they would then roll the rock away from the mouth of the well. I guess it took a lot of muscle to move this huge rock. And as Jacob is speaking to them, he finds out that they're from Haran, and he 
finds out that they know Laban, that he finds out that Laban is well, and he points over to this young woman who's coming down the road or coming down the field there, and they go, that woman, young woman right there, she is actually Laban's daughter. Again, what a coincidence. So here we have, you know, i got to get my mind wrapped around this when I first read it. We have Jacob who had this amazing promise from God, and he's off to fulfill his destiny. But what are the odds that he just happened to come to this field, to this well, which happened to be near Haran, and the daughter of Laban is coming with her sheep? It all speaks to the providence of God. You guys hearing me here? It speaks to the providence of God. The providence, the word providence just means it's the means by which God makes all things happen. Providence. It's the means by which God makes all things happen. I'm talking all things, good and evil, seen and unseen things. This speaks to that, all things, toward a worthy cause, a worthy purpose. God wins. God wins every time. And even the fact that they meet, he meets Rachel at a well is significant because well, a well, often signified or was associated with the blessing of God. And we find that very thing going on. There's a great saying in the Christian world. I think they control in my slides. It's coming up in a minute. But listen to this saying that in the Christian world, it says, in life, in the life of of a trusting Christian, there are no accidents, only appointments. And I think sometimes we're late for our appointment. I think sometimes God, it's not an accident. God puts someone in our lives to direct us, part of God's plan. And we're late for that appointment. It's happened to me over and over. Before I became a Christian, I can't tell you how many opportunities God probably gave me to come to know him in a greater way. And I didn't take the opportunity. There are no accidents. His quest now is to fulfill the plan that God had for his life, the purpose that God had for his life. Nothing was an accident. God knew the exact time and the exact place that people would live. And God knows the exact time where you would live, 2019, the exact place, Cheyenne, Wyoming. It's not a mystery and it's not an accident. In fact, turn over to Acts 17. I want you to turn to Acts 17, and honestly, if, if you have your Bible or you're on an iPad or something, I want you to highlight verses 24 through 27, or box it in, or whatever you do in your Bible, because I believe every single Christian should understand this passage. I'll give you a little context. Paul is walking around Athens. And he's disturbed, he, he's, he's really disturbed because he sees the idol is, or the city is full of idols. He even sees this one idol and it says to an unknown God. And so he starts preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to the, everybody. And they're like, what is this babbler trying to say? He seems to be advocating foreign God. So they take him to this place where all the best minds sit around all day and they talk philosophy. And they go, hey, we, we want to hear what you have to say. You've been saying some very interesting things, Paul. And Paul says, look, I, I've walked around your city. I've seen all these idols. I saw this 
inscription on a God that said to an unknown God, I'm going to tell you who, the, who this God you think is unknown, I'm going to tell you who he is. And he goes on and he tells him, look, the God doesn't live in temple built by hands. God doesn't live in this building, in this dwelling. He lives in the dwelling of our hearts. He goes, as if God needed anything from man, like needed our hands, because God has created everything. And then he says this. This is the passage. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. What, what an amazing passage. I'm saying it's not an accident. That God has literally lined up people in your path, in your way, to help you come closer to Him. God's determined the exact time you would live, the exact place where you live. Why? So that perhaps it's still free will. You don't have to. God lets you have free will. But perhaps you would reach out for Him and find Him. But I love that last part. Though He's never been far from each and every one of us. He's always been there. The Holy Spirit... Hera walks with us, is always trying to lead us to him. He wants to live in us. And so nothing is an accident. Let's look in verse 9. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone <laughs> from the mouth of the well, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept. Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of their father and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father, Daddy, get the gun. This guy's, I just, I mean, it just cracks me up that he just meets her and he starts kissing her. But look, first of all, he, he sees her and man, how inspiring is that? She like gave him mighty mouth strength. He rolls the stone away. He doesn't wait for the other shepherds to come. He just pushes the darn thing out of the way. And you see this parallel between Jacob's meeting Rachel and Abraham's servant, Eliezer, something like this. He, Eliezer, he, when he meets or finds the wife for Isaac, Rebekah, you see this parallel. In fact, in, in uh, Genesis 28 and verse 14, this is what uh, Abraham's servant says. He prays first. He, this is kind of his prayer. He says, he's talking to God, and he says, Now may it be that the girl whom I save, please let down your jar so that I may drink. And who answers, drink, and I will water your camel, camels also. May she be the one whom you have pointed for your servant Isaac. So the servant comes down to this well because, of course, that's where you meet women is at the well. You know, the best music's there and they, they're there. And he goes there and he's like, God, this is my fleece, you know. This, God, if the woman says, I will water your camels too, then she must be the one for your servant Isaac. And I've been sent on this mission. And I love that story because he makes a vow with Father Abraham and the vow is really weird. He puts your hand under my thigh. It's just, again, I, some of this stuff always cracks me up. So he makes this vow, 
she gives him the water to drink and she waters his animals, the servant, okay? Now it's Jacob gives her something to drink and waters her animals. There's a parallel, but it's opposite. And, and I'm sure that Jacob knew the story of how his father Isaac met Rebekah. That story was probably shared a lot. The difference is, when the servant met Rebekah, he was carrying a lot of wealth. When he meets her, he puts a gold ring in her nose and bracelets and all this jewelry. Jacob had nothing, zero, but a promise. He had a promise from God, and he had faith in the one true God. Now, you can already see right here the positive changes in, in Jacob's character. Look at the boldness, this new boldness he has when he confronts the other shepherds. He has this new energy that, that he can move the stone by himself. He has this new passion, this passion that when he introduces himself to Rachel, says he kisses her and then he, he falls on the ground, I believe, and he just looks up and he just prays and weeps. I didn't see that before. Depending on God, that, that's what happens when you've been depending on God. Positive changes start to occur in your character. That's what God does to you. Now, he's without family support here. And so he couldn't make any usual payments. He, he, in my opinion, he fell in love with Rachel immediately. And he's already thinking marriage. Remember the plan. He he's, needs to find a wife. There's no dowry here. He has nothing. And so he offers to work for seven years for Rachel's father, Laban. Verse 13. So when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he related to Laban all these things. Laban said to him, Surely you are the bone of my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Now, there's a lot of kissing going on here. and I don't know, you know, kissing of relatives, like in verse 11 and 13, it really was a proper greeting of this time. It's, it's like that in many cultures in mine. Um, I'm going to see my mom tomorrow, her 81st birthday. I'm taking Bailey, and it's her 81st birthday, and we're driving like four and a half hours in Pueblo, Colorado, and we're all over each other. I have 10 aunts and an uncle, and I have numerous cousins, and we're all over each other. We kiss on the face all the time. They're... I, Pray for Bailey, okay? They haven't seen her in a while. They're going to be all over her. They're going to be kissing and kissing. But in the ancient East, family ties were very strong. And visiting relatives, including those you may have never met or you hadn't seen in a very long time, that you would entertain them in your home and, and treat them as your own flesh and blood. So when Jacob, you know, meets Laban and he tells him who he was, he tells him the story, he probably told him everything, why he was there. I can't really go back. It's like, I need to adopt you. He treats him like his own flesh and blood. Laban really could have been adopting him here. Now, it's weird for us to think like a 70-year-old man could be adopted, but this is what we have. You've got to understand, they lived to, he's middle-aged. He lived to 180. So he's 70, 70, 70, he's middle-aged guy. So let's go to verse 15. 
Oh, wait, wait a sec. I, I, I had this down in my notes here. It's interesting how he must have told him everything that had been going on. Like, don't you, it says he told him everything um, up in the passage. So he, he says he told all, he related to Laban all these things. I just started thinking about that. That's another great character trait you see God working in him. Openness. But now he's open with his life. Deceit is, is just fading away. And openness and the light is coming back into his life. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you for seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Now, when I read this at the beginning in the verse 15, Laban, these are Laban's words. He says, uh, should, should you serve me for nothing? I'd be like, who said anything about serving you? I, I'm just... I'm just helping out for a month. But he's already got it in his mind. He's already scheming. I'm going to get this guy to serve me. And, and right here he's like, let me think about it. But now that you mention it, you have a daughter, Rachel, and I'm very interested. And he's thinking of the promise. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one that God has for me. And from what I can tell, like I said earlier, Jacob fell in love with her. It's love at first sight with her, with him. And probably with her. And so Jacob has this hopeful dream of marrying Rachel, and it turns into a nightmare after he's been with Laban for years. And you know the, most of the story, but we're going to get to it. Jacob flat out meets his match here when it comes to deceit. Laban was even more crafty than him. He outwitted him. Jacob had deceived his own brother and his father, and now he's being deceived by his mother's brother. Isn't that interesting? 20 years uh, of drudgery, 20 years of affliction, 20 years of deception lay, lay ahead for him here. It's Jacob's tenacity. His drive, his faith shows that he counted all those things as just minor setbacks compared to his love for Rachel. And so God takes him, and I believe he just develops his character through these trials Turn the fruits of his deception into blessings. And he built the promised seed, the nation of Israel, through this thing. He could have never imagined this as he was running for his life from home. And it's interesting when you think about it that all three of the patriarch's wives that are mentioned in the Bible is beautiful. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Rachel, they're all beautiful. Now, guys, let me tell you something. Okay. If you really want to score some big points with your wife or your girlfriend, imitate this last statement there that Jacob says. That thing that he says. He says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. 
you want to really score some points, you know, it's a honey, you know, this is our 24th year anniversary. What you got on the stove? Don't be that guy. Don't be that dude. <laughs> be honey. It's been 24 years in our anniversary. Can you believe it? But you know, it only seems but a day because of my love for you. What, what a great example. Don't be the other guy. Jacob's character is really, really, really being developed here, and I love it. Patience, first of all. He patiently served Laban for seven years because of his love for Rachel. Jacob's love for Rachel took the burden out of the work, out of the toil. Of, I mean, it's a hard work. Shepherding. All the things you have to do that comes with ranching, basically. But really, the best definition of happiness that I have ever heard I have a slide for you there. Hopefully they got that up. Is this. Happiness consists of having someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. And Jacob had all three. Someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. And Jacob had all three. And I think it's also the key to being a happy Christian. Jesus, someone to love, serving in the kingdom of God, Something to do, eternity with the Lord. Something to look forward to. Christians have all three. And it's a beautiful thing, happiness, when it's in that way. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed that I may go into her. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now in the evening... He took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob went into her. Laban also gave his wife Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, It is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week for this one, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as his wife. Laban also gave his maid, Billah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban for another seven years. Now, I think this is the part where I asked Pastor Sean to come teach this section. Because, or anybody, come teach this section for me. Because look, what a twist. What, what a crazy twist right there. Like fate. I couldn't resist putting this slide of the Matrix. It's one of my favorite movies. Have they got it up there? Yeah. This is a quote. Fate, it seems, is not without a sense of irony. It's, what a twist of fate for him. The man who deceived his father was now being deceived by his father-in-law. Jacob passed himself off as the firstborn. Now he's given the firstborn daughter of Laban to be his wife. The Bible teaches, church, that when we confess our sins as a Christian, we are forgiven. But that does not eliminate the consequences of our sin. It's clear. God still allows us to suffer the consequences of sin. Now, you're forgiven. You're going to make it. God loves you. But the consequences are there. 
Paul said, you reap what you sow. He says, do not be deceived. God isn't mocked in Galatians 6, verse 6 and 7. You can write that down. Now, this is the part, though, that just absolutely blows my mind. It's hard for me to believe the part that Jacob didn't know that it was Leah coming into the tent. I have questions, is what I'm saying. It's hard for me to believe that. How could he be so easily deceived? I mean, he was there with them for seven years. He got to know both of them. He knew their mannerisms. He knew their voice, the way they walk, their face, maybe even their perfume, whatever they wore. Maybe. Maybe Leah copied the mannerisms of Leah. I mean, of Rachel. Maybe she copied the mannerisms. It was dark. She was veiled. He didn't see her face. It was night. Maybe she copied. Maybe even she wore the same clothes. That would make sense, right? That's what he did when he deceived his father and Esau. Maybe she put on the same clothes as Sister Rachel. But this kind of intimacy... I have questions. And the only answer I come up with is maybe Jacob was intoxicated. It was a wedding. Maybe he was beer goggles. <laughs> okay. Though he, uh, maybe, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But the big question for me is this. Where was Rachel in all of this? While all this was going on, where was Rachel? She had to know this wedding's going on. It's supposed to be for me. Wait, I'm not going in the tent. So, okay, I have questions, but the Bible doesn't tell us. Now, once Jacob finds out the next morning, what have you done to me, he says. I'll tell you what, Jacob, you've been made a fool, is what happened. Now, in that seven days when you're married, that seven days, you you and your bride were treated like a king and a queen. You were served, and you just, you just, Loved it up, but I don't think he was feeling like a king. He was feeling like a court jester. He was feeling like the fool until the next week came and he got to marry Rachel. (laughs) Then he was feeling like a king. And I'm thinking about what Leah must have been feeling. I mean, this whole thing, it's just polygamy. You just start to see the beginning stages and conflicts of polygamy. And it's right here. You, you see what, what was happening here. Now, Jacob, like I said, he protested how Laban was treating him because Laban had basically threatened him with Rachel, right? He had threatened him with Rachel, said, okay, another seven years, and then you can have her. But Jacob knew God would be with him. God, he, he remembered the promise. He knew what God said. Jacob was learning to submit to God's loving hand and discipline. And he accepted it, and it was growing in his faith. He was growing in his character through all of these things. How many times, man, do we not understand God's doings in our lives? It, it's just it's mind-blowing how many times now then I look back and I go, wow, that was the plan for my life. Now Laban, I think about Laban now. Think about him. He must have been stoked that he had pulled this whole charade thing off on, on his nephew here. I mean, he, he married both of his daughters. He gets 14 years of servitude. I mean, 
maybe even you could call it slavery. Grandkids, they, they've got, he's got grandkids and his daughters and they're, they're all still living there with him. He's probably thinking, man, I just, I pulled it off. But just as Jacob's son Joseph would say later, famous quote, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In the New Testament, we call it Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. The purposes of God cannot fail. And so Laban, in all his pride, didn't realize he was just a pawn. This was God's plan all along. Verse 31. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. And he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. He has therefore given me a son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she named him Levi. And, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore his name, therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now despite human sin, despite all the things that had gone on, God's plan moved forward. Leah, from Leah, six tribes of Israel, including Judah, a very, a very, very important tribe, were descended from Leah. Laban, he did make that one concession where he said, after the week, you can have my Rachel, and he gave them to her right then and there. But even that was all part of God's plan. Those years probably didn't pass quickly. Those seven years that he had to do it after the first seven. But even that was part of God's plan because he was making the 12 tribes of Israel. And I've often wondered, I mean, I've pondered this a lot, like maybe, maybe Jacob went along with it and wasn't as mad as he could have been because he's still thinking about the promise. The promise was, I'm going to increase your descendants like the dust of the earth. I have one wife that is barren and one wife that is having many kids. And even as we'll see later on when the, the maids come in, and some say that those are his wives as well, some say those are his concubines, I just call them all his wives. And maybe he's thinking, this is okay. I mean, this is the plan of God. And so God's promise to make his descendants like the dust of the earth. And Rachel wasn't producing. And so we see later on he takes all of them. But I hate the part where it says that Leah was unloved. What a horrible thing to have to live with, church. Unloved, loneliness, jealousy, deceit, division. Just the state of being unloved. It's a horrible thing. And the Lord knew this. And I think that's why the Lord blessed her with conception, that she was able to have those kids. And so Leah bore, uh, bore Jacob six sons and a daughter 
that we know of. Now, they may have had other daughters in between times, but only one is mentioned because she's very important to the story moving forward. She bore him the first son, it says, and she names him Reuben, which means affliction. She says, God has seen my affliction. She has a second son. She names him Simeon. And it means one who hears, and it suggests that Leah was talking to God about all things. The Bible tells us, Jesus says, come with everything. And she's, it indicates she, she's talking to God about her trials. So she names him, one who hears. She has his third son, Levi, and she names him Attached. Because, of course, Leah was hoping that this would be the one that would attach him, make him closer, because now I've borne you three sons. But I think I love the most Judah the fourth son. You see a shift in, in Leah. Maybe she just grew. Maybe she, she's content now. She names the fourth son Judah, which means praise. And instead of complaining about what God has done to her, now she's praising his blessings on her life. And, she, and the son reflects that. Maybe it was just Judah himself. He was just such a joy that she just, man, how could I complain? I mean, you look at your kids. How, do we ever have anything to complain about when they're healthy? I mean, we just go, oh, thank you, Lord. The blessings of God are absolutely amazing. Gratitude, I believe, is the root of happiness. Gratitude. The purposes of God cannot fail, and through all the trials that Jacob went through, the plans of God moved forward, and it's the same for you in your life today. It's the same for me. They're still moving forward. God is not through with us. So Jacob left his daddy's basement, you know, a single man, 70 plus years old, owning nothing. And he returns with four wives, or you may say two concubines and two wives, but at least 13 children, 12 boys, and immense wealth. And we'll read about that next week, and he's in his 90s. Now, the slide that we have up there now is, shows you all the different uh, descendants from Jacob from this one instance. He thought this was going to be a horrible journey, and parts of it were, and he really had to be developed and changed and molded by God through trial. But church, it's a lesson for all of us that God is not through with you. You hear me? I don't care what your age. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. I don't care where your health is. Jacob thought he was going to die. 137 years old. God is not through with you. God meets you where you're at along the way. Any place. And God can bless anyone, anywhere, at any time. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I thank you again just for your mercy on us. And Father, I think all of us in some way have a little piece of Jacob in us where we have sinned and we're down, where we run when we should come toward you. The more I am broken, Father, the more you repair the more I am emptied, the more you refill. Father, we, we get confused about that. 
And Father, I think that for all of us as we read these words, they're here to inspire us that you're capable of using us, the worst of sinners, and making us into something beautiful for your glory. And Father, I do pray that we never take the credit for it. I pray that we never say, no, I'm just so glad I memorized those Bible studies. Or God, I, I pray that we never say, I'm just so glad that I have that personality that I can just reach out to people. I have that gift of gab. Father, I pray we never take credit for what your Holy Spirit is doing and how he's moving. Because it is a real danger. We see it in Laban, where he thought he was in control, and he was not. So, Father, bless, it. bless this time. Take control of our hearts. Take control of our hands. Take control of our mouths. Take control of our legs, our arms, our bodies. And, Father, use us in a powerful way. Just, Spirit, we apologize for when we've used you as a servant. We just call you when it's convenient. But instead, we just want to be completely owned by you. We want to be wrecked by you. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for this time to pray. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.